One man's political philosophy led to the death of an estimated 100 million people. His ideas have been totally discredited in the crucible of reality. And no, I'm not referencing Adolf Hitler, although the two share more in common than you might think. The man I'm describing personified evil in so many ways, and yet he's enjoying a renaissance of respect, mostly from the ignorant. Join me in the Economic War Room, where we ask best-selling author James Simpson, former economist for the White House Office of Management and Budget, the relevant question, who was Karl Marx? Jim Simpson, welcome back to the Economic War Room. Hey, Kevin, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. You know, you really were the first person to uncover the whole Cloward Piven strategy that Glenn Beck and so many others have talked about. And now we're seeing that play out right before our eyes. Tell us, how did you uncover that and how is it being carried out? Well, you know, it's actually, I have to give credit where credit is due. It was actually David Horowitz who described that. And uh, <clears throat> he had uh, articles about it on his Discover the Networks website. And I stumbled across that. But, you know, with David Horowitz, these things are just like routine. All of these strategies that he's so familiar with, it's like they're, you know, oh, blase, just another thing to him, but you know, to those of us who have never been exposed to that, just like when people were first exposed to Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. You know, the radicals have used that book for decades and it's uh, routine for them. For us, it was an eye-opener. The same thing with the cloward Piven strategy. But one thing that I think that I pulled out of it that uh, nobody really had before was how uh, completely that strategy envelops everything that the left does. All of their strategies in one way or another are the cloward Piven strategy. And for those in your audience who don't know what that is, it's called the crisis strategy. And it came out of a 1966 article they wrote for the Nation magazine called The Way to the Poor, where they described how they would collapse our system by packing the welfare rolls with so many beneficiaries that the government would simply collapse under its own weight. And then in the ashes, they could propose socialism as their response. Now, of course, socialism just would make it collapse even worse, but they never seemed to care about that stuff. But they applied it to voting, they, they applied it to um, the housing crisis, that was a Cloward-Piven strategy, uh, complete with complicity by the Clinton administration, Andrew Cuomo, who was the housing secretary at the time, and um, the GSEs, who were one run by Franklin Raines, uh, all of these people were complicit in the deliberate uh, uh, explosion in housing prices followed by the financial uh, meltdown in 2008. No question. Lost Republicans the election. And now we're talking about the massive il illegal immigration influx, which is just another crisis strategy, overwhelming us with the, all the problems those people bring, while at the same time giving 
the Democrats, hopefully for them, an entirely new, large voting demographic that will give them a permanent majority for the future to rule. Think of how bad that could be. Well, that's the end game then, is socialism. And the purpose of socialism is communism. So how does this lead you to studying Karl Marx? Well, you know, um, I've studied communism for 30 years. Really, I became interested in that when I was a grad student uh, and then as an economic instructor because it fascinated me that uh, this was so, so interesting to so many people, yet at the same time, it was obviously an absurdly ridiculous economic theory, uh, and, it, and also, in practice, it caused, as you said, the deaths of more people in times of peace than had died in all the histories of war combined. So why did so many people push it? Why do they continue to push it? Why are our uh, college kids all woke and just all excited about a socialist future? Well, for two reasons. For the, for the anointed, for those who understand it, it is a vehicle, the most effective vehicle ever devised by man for delivering its practitioners into positions of power and absolute power and wealth. It's a perfect uh, setup for a new style mafia. That's what it is. It's a bunch of very greedy, parasitic, evil, completely amoral people willing to do anything to seize power and the wealth that goes with it. And you can see the results for those people all over the country. It's like I mean, all the Communist world. Party, international criminal cartel called the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you look at the Chinese Communists, the North Korean Communists, uh, Vladimir Putin, you look at the Castro brothers, they're all the same. They own their entire countries and they live in uh, abs absolute splendor in terms of any and everything that they could possibly ask for in terms of uh, material well-being. And but everybody else suffers for it. It's, it's a gruesome system that only spawns the very worst of humankind. I call communism the evolutionary endpoint to human depravity. Oh, wow. That, all right, we're gonna need to take a break, but when we come back, I wanna dig down into the history of Karl Marx and why this man is, who's been dead nearly 140 years, is such a threat even today. So let's take a break. Jim, tell us, who was Karl Marx? It's such a great question. Who was Karl Marx? You know, he is made out to be uh, almost this mythical figure uh, with absolute brilliance and insight and foresight and the solutions for all the world's problems. Fact of the matter is, Marx was a greedy, selfish, spoiled brat, rich son of a wealthy German lawyer. 
He cared nothing for anybody else except himself. He had contempt for everybody around him. Uh, he was viciously prejud uh, prejudiced against blacks. He favored slavery. He called the uh, proletariat, whose communist manifesto was supposed to deliver freedom to, he called them stupid boys, rogues, asses. All the people around him said that Marx was just a man filled with hate, filled with rage towards everything. And think about this, two of his daughters and one son-in-law committed suicide. Three of his young children died of malnutrition. And while his wife, who left him twice and came back twice for unknown reasons, was running around trying to find a coffin to bury one of their children in because Marx had spent all their money and he was penniless. He employed a secretary who was described by one writer as uh, <laughs> loudish, libidinous, and otherwise useless for the sole purpose of keeping up appearances. He felt it was important for a man of his stature to keep up appearances while his wife was running around trying to raise up enough money to buy a coffin for one of their dead children. His mother harried him weekly to change his underwear. He never did. He spent the rest of his life, <coughs> excuse me, hovering over ailing relatives waiting for them to die so he could find out what was in the will for him. And he would write letters to um, his partner in crime, Frederick Engels, telling him about the latest death and how much he might get out of the will. is simply astonishing. And this is all public record history that anybody can find. And I have endless um, citations in my book uh, to prove it. It's simply uh, amazing. Sounds like he's one of the most despicable men who has ever lived. It sounds like he was spawned by hell itself. And get, you, you touch on that in the book a little bit about whether he's an atheist or a Satanist. And I know there are two schools of thought. Share a little about that. Well, the thing is, you know, he was raised actually, his father, you know, their Jewish heritage but in Lutheran Germany, Jews couldn't practice uh, their profession. So his father um, became a Lutheran and he raised Karl Marx as a Lutheran. And when he was in high school, Marx wrote beautiful Christian poetry. I mean, I, I cite one in the book. It's, it's really quite beautiful. Uh, but of course, <laughs> just like today, he went off to college and came back a totally changed person he fell in with a bad crowd, and um, at least one writer, uh, Richard Wormbrand, uh, wrote a book called Marx and Satan. Uh, he um, believes that the, person, the people who influenced Marx in college were actually Satanists. And it's interesting that Marx himself seemed to reflect that in his la latter poetry, because I quote one of his... Um, poems where he doesn't reject the presence of God or the existence of God. 
he says, I'm going to be equal to God. Oh, wow. I am going to be God's equal. And that, I think, is a critical distinction because I think really when it comes down to it, this is the old temptation that people have faced since the Garden of Eden. You know, ye shall be as gods. Satan's temptation. And that's what these people see. These people see themselves as human, secular gods, replacing uh, God with uh, man as the um, final arbiter of what should happen in the world. And uh, Whitaker Chambers touches on that also, and I quote him in the book. Well, what was his end goal? I mean, it was his end goal, you read today and you think his end goal is a utopia where uh, uh, men and women love one another and work together as brothers in a communal fashion and all that. But from what you're sharing and what I've been reading, his end goal was authoritarian control with him in charge. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's been uh, questioned whether or not part of this didn't have to do with the fact that he would um, he played the stock market and almost always lost and so he's looking for a better way to 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 make a nice income for himself uh, Engels stole from his father's petty cash Engels was another wealthy son of a uh, entrepreneur businessman and he stole from the his father's petty cash to support um, Marx throughout most of his life. Um, they wanted two things. The, the most prominent uh, message that you got, Karl Marx, Friedrich Engels, and all the people around them and all the people that followed them was they wanted to absolutely burn everything to the ground. Their goal was destruction, was destruction of Western society entirely. And Marx talked about it in the Communist uh, Manifesto. Uh, Engels talked about it. Um, Mikhail Bakunin, one of the most uh, well-known anarchists of the day, talked about it. Any and all of the communists and socialists of the day, their primary goal was to destroy the existing order and then, of course, put themselves in charge of what was to come. And, you know, that was very sketchily described in the Communist Manifesto and never really developed. And the thing is, these people were living fantasies. They were extremely proud. They thought they knew everything. And that is another characteristic, I think, of most Marxists. They think they know it all without knowing anything. They think they know so much that they don't even have to check facts. They don't have to uh, consider, they wouldn't have to consider this book, certainly. Doesn't matter that it's all factual. It's irrelevant. They know better. They know how to fix it. And that's the great attraction to this. People who are insecure uh, find this kind of pride-bolstering, uh, egotistical ideology to be very attractive, because it doesn't ask you to do anything except fall in with the crowd and 
hate everybody else who is unwilling to go along with it. Well, we're going to have to take another break. When we come back, I want to discuss why so many young people are being deceived with these lies of communism and what we ought to be doing about it. You know, Jim, when we left off, it's interesting. You mentioned that Karl Marx liked to play the stock market. I remember my days in college. I had Marxist economic professors. And I'd come in, my dad was a stockbroker, and they'd say, hey, give me a stock pick. And I'm like, what? why do you want a stock pick? You're a communist. But now I understand they were just following their, their leader, Karl Marx. And their answer to me was, well, I got to make a little money. You know, theoretically, I'm a communist, but practically, I got to make a little money. Hey, recent polls indicate that about a third, one third of younger voters prefer communism over other forms of government and other economic systems. How can this be? Isn't this a system that was totally failed and completely discredited 30 years ago? So how are they doing it? Is it, is it a marketing effort? Is it the uh, Russian, the old KGB? How is this happening? Flattering. Flattering young people who are gullible and you know, it's a basically uh, it's a symptom of being young. We're all rebels when we're teenagers. We all think we know it all. Hire a teenager while he still knows everything. You know that that bumper sticker. Hire a teenager while he still knows it all. Um, you know, and these college professors who are indoctrinating them flatter them deliberately and compliment them when they come up with the ideas that the uh, professors have pre-planted in their heads. You know, it, it, it's a very sophisticated indoctrination campaign. And for example, my daughter's completely taken by it. She's totally woke. And I say to her, Al, it's been tried a hundred times and failed. Well, maybe they ought to let us try it. Yeah. I mean, really, and that, I'm sure that's what they get in the, you know, well, it's been tried before, but nobody as smart as you have tried it yet. You know, these people made all the mistakes. You know, you guys know better. It's all flattery. It's all ego. Uh, but it's script. highly marketed. It's got the media behind it. It's got orchestrated crises that you mentioned earlier. And now it's got this whole race issue, critical theory, you know, critical theory, now critical race theory. How do we counter this? Yeah, I know. Difficult, with, with difficulty. Getting, getting, getting school boards changed, for one thing. Taking money out of those, you know, those state institutions that uh, rely on state dollars. We elect the right people. Those people uh, could zero out state funding for those state um, institutions that, that teach this crap. You know, I mean, to me, it's always you take away their money and they don't have any fangs and they'll come around in a big hurry. Well, you've got some solutions that you put out in your book, and I want to recommend all of our viewers get a copy of this. It's already a bestseller on Amazon and Kindle form. Uh, I love the paperback version because I like to hold it in my hands. But you've got a whole back from the brink, a comprehensive plan to save America in here. And you talk about creating a parallel society. What do you mean by that? It's very difficult for us to face a leftist, a, a culture, all the various institutions of culture that have been effectively infiltrated 
and captured by the radical left. Uh, you know, in some cases, for example, on school boards where we can vote the bad people off, and in those states where local school boards still have any authority, in many states they don't, um, we can affect changes on what our future students will learn. Um, but there are so many components of our culture where we just can't penetrate it that way. So what we need to do is develop what I call a parallel society where we offer better alternatives. I mean, people are scratching their eyes out to get out of places like California and New York where they are just led by lunatics, dangerous, destructive lunatics who are getting people killed through their policies, you know, defunding the police, all the things that uh, Bill de Blasio did in New York City, Cuomo, uh, Newsom, in, in Portland, Oregon, they're just nuts and people are dying to find alternatives. So, for But example, you know, this sounds like what you just described Karl Marx wanted, the anarchy, the blow everything up. It sounds like they're following the plan to a T. Well, that's, that's very true. That's very true. And we are in, in extremists, really. We are right tottering on the edge of our entire society uh, falling into the abyss. No and doubt. If that happens, our, our world will go into a cataclysmic failure of biblical proportions, unlike anything that's happened in the past. Well, you know, you can't beat something with nothing. And so the parallel society, I think, is great. We've got to somehow teach people the benefits of individual liberty and opportunity. I remember in the 1980s in college, we started the Adam Smith Foundation and we were training young people, hey, look, you can invest in the stock market or you can start businesses. And we had an entrepreneurial explosion. Where they're headed now is communism for the masses means hard labor, and as Alan West explains, economic slavery. I saw a Babylon Bee where they showed the hammer and the sickle and they said, wait a minute, you mean the hammer actually represents labor? I have to work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to work, you're, and if you're lucky enough to survive. Exactly. So you've got a great book, Who Was Karl Marx? It gives us the opportunity to learn the history. It also gives us some facts and relevant data that we can share with young people. And I want you to know, uh, since we last met, uh, we started the NSIC Institute to counter the evil effects of communist propaganda, among other things. We're, we're, we have a real alternative. We're helping people save and invest to become successful participants in a free market system with the rewards and societal benefits. So I'm going to invite you, would you come and be willing to help as we train financial advisors to learn about the benefits of free markets and individual liberty? Oh, absolutely. Boy, it'd be my pleasure. What an opportunity. Thank you. So tell us, how can we get a copy of your book? Where, where's the best place? Well, the best way, the easy, it's at Amazon, of course. So you can search that under the name at Amazon, or you can search under my name, James Simpson. But the easiest way to do it is to go to my website, which is crisisnow.net, crisisnow.net. 
And I described the book there, and at the bottom of the description, there is a link that goes directly to the Amazon page where you can get it. Thank you so much, Jim. We appreciate it. Hey, you should do, go to that website, uh, buy the book, read the book, buy extra copies, share the copies, and then do, take another step for me. If you don't have a financial advisor and you want to find one who can help you with this, go to economicwarroom.com forward slash advisor. Nominate your advisor if you do have one. And if you're a subscriber to our free economic battle plans, you can get those at economicwarroom.com. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.